you can't get rich without debt because you just run you you run out right hello and welcome to another episode of get your fill financial independence and long life where we discover and you know, ferret out ways to achieve those two goals. And today I am very thrilled to be joined by Chris Odegaard. He is an inter an alternative investment blogger, which means that we're not going to be talking about like what everybody else is talking about. How do you make your money, make money. And he's an educator. He's an author of this book called get off your a dollar sign dollar sign, which, you know, if you look at it quickly could potentially spell something else appropriate and manage your money, why you need in alternative investments. And He's got a blog at theprolificinvestor.net, uh, and you can get his book there. And he shows investors why alternatives are vastly superior to the stock market and the 401k highway to mediocrity, which, right, if you know that if everybody else is driving the same way, that it's not going to be very exciting. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Christine. I'm really oh. looking forward to it. And this is such a perfect time because I'm actually in the middle of selling my house and I'm considering alternative, alternative there investments. So. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we can, yeah, we can work on, on, uh, on my, you know, personal issues right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Might as well take advantage of the time, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So Chris, tell, is this something you, that you were always interested in? Was this like your dream as a, as a 10 year old or did something like exciting happen to kind of get you pointed in this direction? No, it was not. It was not my dream at all. You know, I grew up, I grew up, uh, you know, a child of employees, you know, that worked for a company, you know, they got a degree, you know, went to a company and where there were benefits and they worked there forever. And, and then they, you know, retired at 65 or 75, whatever. So that that was me. And uh, that's the only so I was a conventional investor. That was the only thing I knew. So I, I you know, got a degree and worked for a company and I worked there for a long time and I put money into a 401k and just like probably the majority of people that are going to be listening or, or watching this and um, then something happened in in 2009 uh, I lost 55 percent of my assets and thousands of dollars a month in my mid-40s right so wow. I've been following I've been following the I've been on the 401k highway to mediocrity as you say <laughs> And then in my mid 40s, cut everything in half, 55%, $1,000 a month. In my case, it was a divorce, but it could have been, you know, people go through bankruptcies, divorces, whatever kind of financial setback for whatever reason. Right. And uh, so that was, a, that was a big, you know, uh, that, was a big, that was a big wake up call. And a friend of mine kind of just coincidentally around the same time said, hey, Chris, you got to read this book. There's this book. You got to read it. I bought the book and I and I set it aside and it just sat there. And then one day I was on a business trip and I read it. Of course, the book was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> and uh, that just kind of was a lightning bolt. Uh, you know, all these things I had never heard of, you know, real estate and all the different all the different types of alternative assets and taxes. And it's just a completely different way of thinking about money. So I started going in that direction. Um, I was going to say as fast as you possibly could, but I, I moved in that direction <laughs> as, as, fast, as fast as I comfortably could. And, you know, there was a there was a single family rental and then there was a duplex and there was all types of other alternative investments, uh, notes, promissory notes. Uh, you can own people's mortgages and uh, uh, gosh, I mean, you know, all the way from ATM machines to uh, private equity to apartment buildings to self storage. And and then nine years later, 
I was kind of looking back and now I was a pretty sophisticated, you know, at that time, uh, you know, I was a pretty sophisticated alternative investor and I started my blog at the prolificinvestor.net and I thought, yeah, you know, how do, why do I have any credibility to write about this? You know, I knew what my net worth was. I had, I had, you know, I had a good CPA and I had bookkeepers and I knew exactly what I was worth. I said, gosh, it's too bad I didn't have all this together you know, nine years earlier when I got divorced, because, you know, then I could say, I could actually say, hey, I came this far. But then uh, there was another bolt of lightning that when you get the divorce, the attorneys make you do an accounting of everything. That's the <laughs> only way they know how to divvy up the right, the pie, exactly. right? how to split it up. <laughs> yeah. And so I had, I had uh, made up that loss and, and multiplied it many times over in nine years and, and quit my corporate job. Uh, at age 56. Now, age 56 isn't remarkable in itself, but I think when you're know, nine years earlier, you had lost 55% of everything, and right. and you know, then I've 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 made all that up, and I fired the man, as I like to say, and now I never <laughs> have to work again if I don't want to. Right. And uh, that I would have I would not have been able to do that if I had continued just beyond that 401k highway to mediocrity. You can thank so, your ex-wife for that. You know, that thought has crossed my mind. I don't know that she would appreciate that, but uh, yeah. Yep. But well, sometimes things say. happen, you know, uh, you know, yeah, everything would happens I, for a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, had, had, a, would I, if you know, this is a little off track, but if I was still married, would I have, would I have still gotten to the same point? I don't think so for, for a handful of reasons, which yeah. are beyond well, the scope of need, this. Right? Yeah. 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 It's need so. that brings out these, you know, it's tests your metal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I started the blog and now I'm just trying to help other people. Uh, you know, really, if I could keep young people from ever getting on that 401k highway, and if I could get some older people to get off, but this is just such a foreign, uh, it's just so foreign because we kind of come out of the womb and the 401k is the vehicle and everybody we know, our friends, our family, you know, everybody that's working in your company, that's what they do. And uh, I can tell you from experience that, you know, uh, eight or nine out of 10 people that I talk to about this won't change anything they're doing. Right. So, uh, but that's probably the, you know, the 80, 20 rule. It's probably the same with everything in life. Right. Um, okay. Here's a better way, but it goes contrary to conventional wisdom. And so most people are going to shy away from it, but this is where, this is where the money is. And this is what, this is what the wealthy people do, but you don't have to be wealthy to do this. You just got to get a little smarter. You just have to start. Right. And it's, it's great. Like you brought up a couple of excellent points. Like, first of all, this idea that, you know, I know many people, even in their late thirties who are saying, oh, I'm too old to start with real estate. I'm too old to do this kind of thing. I can't take on that kind of risk. Thinking that there is no risk in, in the stock market, thinking that right. there's no risk with their 401k when they probably have no idea what it's even invested in. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just whatever the wealth manager, you know, whatever somebody told them to yeah. do, but yeah. also the, the idea that, um, well, and I, this is called get your fill instead of like fire because mm -hmm. the same thing, like there, what's the coup in, in retiring? You said, I retired at 56. That's not really a great deal. Well, you know, if you were started at 21, you could have retired at 30, 29, right? And so that would be over 30, but <clears throat> that, that, it's the same thing. Like I said, well, I'm starting, I started at 50 with basically nothing because I don't understand exactly how I got to be 50, like so quickly, right. but, <laughs> and then you're like, oh man, I have like five grand in the bank. What am I going to do now? Right? Yeah, right. And, and a lot of people would just say, well, I better, a lot of women would say, oh, I better go marry some rich guy because <laughs> there's not much hope for me, but there is. And you just have to start and you just have to say, okay, I'm going to, I mean, it's 
good that you had that necessity, right? I, I need to find a way so that I don't have to work till I'm, I don't have to be a Walmart reader at 75 years old. So yeah, right. what's it going to be? And you, you know, out of probably boredom, you grab the book and read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said something interesting there about, you know, and, and I always like to say, look, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with working. And, you know, there are people that work until they die because they love what they're doing. And if that's the case, that's great. But most people were working because it's a necessity and not a choice. They're working because they have things to pay for. So and, you know, and I, I always, I'm always a little I'm not sure what to say when people ask me what you do, because I am retired from the corporate world. But I, I, I am doing something else. So I call myself kind of semi-retired. You know, I write articles. I've written, I've written a book. I do videos to try and, you know, help educate people. And, you know, if you look at the def definition of retirement, it's, it's to be taken out of service. And I feel like I'm far from, from out of service. But, you know, where you, the, you want to get to the point where you can make work a choice instead of an assessment. And if you want to go out and, and do something and it pays little to no money, but that's what your passion is, you know, money is a tool, passive income is a tool that helps you make all those choices. Exactly. So. Exactly. And that's it. I mean, what is retirement, right? You, you, you have to retire when you have hated every day of going to work, <laughs> right? You're like, oh my God, I hate my boss. I hate my job, right? Then you need to retire. Like, I'm just going to go land a beach, but that gets right. old, especially if you retire before you're what, 72 now, is that yeah. like the goal? <laughs> yeah. So, I know. yeah. I know. <laughs> what do you have to retire to get your full benefits? So, you're right. Money is, it's just a tool. It's not mm -hmm. the goal, holy grail. It's just the tool that gets you to be able to wake up in the morning and do exactly what you want. So you can tell people, what do you do? I do whatever the heck I want. <laughs> you know, that's funny. You mentioned that because there's a time when I, I even said it a little more boldly, you know, <laughs> I do whatever the blank yeah. <laughs> I want, whatever I want. I love to say that, you know, every day is Friday and every hour is happy, right? <laughs> exactly. That's for sure. And it's true. You just think things, a lot of people who, when they get to that point where they don't have to think about money anymore, they don't have to wonder where their next dollar is coming from. They suddenly think, well, what can I do to give back? What can I do that's, that I really enjoy? You could have just as well tell people you're an author, you're, you know, you're a videographer, you could, you know, mm -hmm. like, but it's just really at the end of the day, it's what do I want to do today? What do I feel like doing today? What's going to make me smile? Is it sunny out? You know, do I want to just mm -hmm. go take a walk? Right. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what is a typical day for you at work or at your at your vocation well typical day is i you know like i i'm and actually i'm just recovering well had shoulder surgery in january so Ooh. today my typical day is i is i get up and i go downstairs and leisurely have a cup of coffee and i i used to not watch the news but there is some actual real news and things going on in the world that are important other mm. than just the super superficial stuff that i don't need to watch and then so i have a leisurely cup of coffee and i uh, you know, do, do my physical therapy so I can get all the range of motion back in this soldier, this shoulder, yeah. then I come up here to my desk and, you know, I still have, I still have to, even though I, I'm not working, I do have to do some things to manage these investments, you know, with taxes <laughs> and bookkeeping and, right. and all that right. kind of stuff. And, and I write my articles and, um, get on podcasts and try to get the word out about how people can get richer faster so that's and you know somebody asked me well how many hours a week do you work and i said i don't know probably 15 or 20 hours a week you know that's so, yeah. <laughs> but it's you know i say like define work you know i mean i have an airbnb which i still most of the time clean myself so i got up this morning and i you know mm -hmm. It's a couple of days before when he checks in. So I'll just do a little light, you know, I did some light repairs and then, you know, did a couple of things I felt like doing. And then, you know, 
took a walk, you know, it's just like whatever you want to do, that's exactly. what you get to do. If, it, if yeah. you don't feel, if you have a day where you don't really feel like writing anything, mm-hmm. guess what, you know, right. go to the mall or go, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, I love things with motors. I've got two motorcycles and a, and a red Z06 Corvette. So nice. those are always in, well, I've driven across the country about six times in the last four years. And so uh, there'll be some uh, motorcycle trips and some Corvette trips uh, this summer. And uh, just mm-hmm. I'm in South Carolina where it's sunny a lot of the time. And so, uh, and, and I moved here from Seattle uh, last year to prime, mostly to get away from the weather. So I'm really enjoying the, enjoying mm-hmm. the sunshine here. Yeah, it's beautiful weather there. Um, so when you, do you help people like one-on-one or is it more just, you know, a one-to-many kind of thing where you're putting your words out? Yeah, um, I do a little bit of both. So I'm trying to do a one-to-many thing because I, I really avoid anything that resembles a job, you know, which is, <laughs> and it, which requires me to be at a certain place at a certain time. Um, so I, I, lo- I love to do the, the articles and the videos. And of course, there's the book, but on my website at theprolificinvestor.net, I have a, a handful of things that way people can interact with me. One is there's a conventional wisdom quiz. So you can take, you can take this 10 question quiz and test your knowledge. And I'll, I'll give you my answers versus your answers. And there's also a a coffee cup in the middle. So if you want to have a free 30 minute virtual coffee with me, you can sign up. And I set aside Thursdays for anybody who wants to do this type of thing and just talk about their situation. And people have asked me, you know, uh, you know, what I do mentor them. And um, I've done a little bit of that, but it's not something I really, you know, it's like a job, you know, trading your, your time for money. And, and, and uh, I'm happy to devote a certain amount of my time to doing that just to help people. So nice, nice. So how would you define an alternative investment? It's just a- yeah. So there's two, two broad categories. So conventional investments, your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, anything that's publicly traded is a conventional investment. Pretty much everything else is on alternative. So that includes every every subclass of real estate, you know, single family rentals, Airbnb, you know, warehouses, self-storage, apartment buildings. And so some, and some other alternatives would be like notes. So, or if you were a private lender, cash value life insurance is a great uh, alternative investment. And um, business equipment, I, I own ATMs all across the country, Do which you? is kind of an interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. So yeah, any, anything that you can't buy on or sell on the, you know, and all the cryptocurrencies, anything that you can't buy or sell on, on the stock market is an alternative. And, and just to make it a little bit clear, then there's another division. There's like four asset classes. So there's paper and that's everything that's, that's in the stock market is paper, right? Yeah. So, and then you have uh, private shares of small businesses. So that's like private equities, those businesses. And then you have real, real assets like real estate and ATM machines. And then you have commodities like oil and grain and beef and stuff like that. And so these four asset classes, and when you, when you go to a financial advisor and maybe you pay them to help you build this balanced portfolio, it's all within one asset class, the paper asset class. So you're really not diversified at all because you have no businesses, you have no commodities, and you have no real assets. So it's kind of a, it's really interesting that we've just been kind of duped into this whole conventional financial planning thing, uh, which just, 
you know, it produces less returns. There's, there's no built-in tax advantages to most of that stuff. You can't borrow money, so you can't lose, you can't use leverage. Right. It's just, uh, I, I compare alternatives and con- in my book, alternatives and conventionals across 13 categories and the alternatives, uh, the only place where conventional investments have an advantage, it's that they're liquid, meaning you can buy and sell them quickly, which well, you cannot do with an apartment building. Maybe not for the price you want at that moment. Well, that's true, but I mean, if you if you bought a stock and it was doing badly, you could unload it quickly at some right. price. If you right. bought a piece of real estate that's going badly, it's going to take you some time to unload that, right? Yeah. Uh, but but the other thing too is you have control over the alternative. When you buy a exactly. stock bond or mutual fund, you're completely it's in completely in the hands of somebody else. If you buy your Airbnb outright and things aren't going well, you can change the marketing strategy, you can change the price, you can upgrade the property. So you know you have control uh, to some degree over the outcome of the performance. So. Anyway. So interesting. A lot of the things you're bringing up, I teach like a class, which is called real estate investing. Is it for you? I'm a real estate agent. I don't know if mm-hmm. you knew that. But, yeah. So, and th- we go through all those exact points, you know, like if, if I've bought Apple stock and I don't like how things are going, you know, and I call up the chairman of the board and be like, look, dude, you know, I've yeah. been looking at this. You got to take your focus away from this and put it over here. Like they'll be like, and how many shares you own lady? Like $500 worth. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> well, first of all, you'll never even get that phone call through. Right? Exactly. They're, the person's never, I'm going to get to that person. Right, so yeah. yeah, you, you can't, you can't repaint the lobby. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't do anything to help yourself. Whereas when you have the asset in your hand, you can, you have that control. And the leverage is another huge piece of that. Huge, right? And that's how it starts. If I want to buy $200,000 worth of stock, how much money do I need? And the people are sitting there going, is this a trick question? Like $200,000, right? Obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I want to buy a $200,000 piece of real estate, how much money do I need? Well, am I going to live there? Maybe 30, I can get 30%, 30%, 30% of it, most likely. Yeah. Right? yeah. If, if it's, a, if you're not going to, you know, live in part of it, right. Mm-hmm. If you, I, I like people to start with a multifamily home, you know, if they right. don't have anything, because then right. 5% down all day long, you're in, you know, it's right. much easier than people think. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's, and they, another one of these things is that, you know, we you come to think as debt as bad. Well, there's bad debt and there's good debt. And um, so, yeah. uh, And if you think there's a a physics formula from way back in the day, you know, uh, force is equal to math, mass times acceleration. And if you change that into a monetary thing with the, you know, the force, the end result being how how much wealth you're going to accumulate is equal to the mass, the amount of money that you have, and we all run out of our own money. So when you can supplement that with other people's money in the form of bank loans or private lending, and then the velocity is, well, how quickly can you keep that money moving? It comes out of one investment and you've got it right back going. But, exactly. you, you know, I, I, there's one article I did not mention which one it is, but I, where I say, you know, you, you can't get you can't get rich without debt because you right. just run you, you run out. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's my the way I say that is you can't save up to be rich. <laughs> you, can't, no, uh-uh, no. you just can't well, do it. Yeah. And with today's, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no interest rates anywhere. So um, <laughs> you know, Great the one, one way, tomorrow, that's for sure. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, the one way you can guarantee that you're going to fail is number one, by sitting on the sidelines. And, and you know, if you've, if you've 
you know, if you're putting money in a savings account, and I, I did another article about stop stop uh, storing money under your mass under your mattress, and and I say, look, when you own your house outright with cash, that money that's just you might as well you're, that's no better than um, uh, putting money under your mattress, right? Well, my house is increasing in value. Well, it's increasing in value whether you own whether you have a hundred percent equity or twenty percent equity. So I'm exactly. a big favor of of smartly taking that equity out, whether it's through refinance or for a HELOC, and putting that money to work. That's 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 your money, and all you're doing by having a house paid off is making well. Uh, it doesn't mean this doesn't work if it's paid off, but by having more equity, all you're doing is you're doing the bank a favor and making their loan <laughs> safer, you're not doing anything for you. <laughs> right, exactly. I know. And this is the thing, right? It's interest rates. People are like, oh, interest rates are going up. Well, what are they now? 4%. I'm like, 4%. My mm -hmm. first house, they had come down to 13% when I bought my right. first house from yeah, 18. I was like, say, I was in that same area. Yeah. Yeah. We went from three to four. Oh boy. You know, like yeah. <laughs> give me, it's almost impossible to make less on your money than 4%. So just take it out and do something with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard. Like you say, I mean, when that's Robert Kiyosaki, he starts with that, right? Like good debt versus bad debt. Like, mm -hmm. and people think their home is an investment. Like, oh, you know, this is my investment. Well, what are you going to do when you sell that beautiful investment? <laughs> You're going to go live right, on the yeah. street. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Right. It's actually it's actually the biggest liability that you have, because once when when you get laid off or fired or whatever, what's the biggest problem you have? It's a house payment. It's the biggest liability. Right. So and you have nobody to help you pay that, you know, nothing, no asset, nothing can help you pay that loan. You it has to be you trading your time for money. Yep. So but it's now, why do you think it's so difficult, Chris, to get people to kind of embrace this idea, right? It's very basic. You can look at any wealthy person, in, you know, yeah. th that you can think of, right? Except people, somebody who just invented something like right. pretty much most of the wealthy people in the world. I've got these kind of investments. Yeah. Well, I think in general, people are just resistant to change. It doesn't matter what kind of change it is. And um, um, sometimes people will ask me like, well, what's what's one what's one thing or, you know, what's one habit or principle or something that you've adopted that has helped you move down this road. And, and it's, it actually boils down to this. It's not running away when I hear something that sounds too good to be true. It's like, <laughs> because so I, you know, if, I, if I tell people, well, I, I routinely make, you know, 25 to 35% on annual return on my investments. And people go, oh, well, that's that's too good to be true. It's got to be illegal or, <laughs> immoral be a Ponzi or, or, or unethical. <laughs> right. And they and they that's it. And and I go, what if that is true? I would really like to be the guy having those kind of returns. <laughs> so I run toward that stuff carefully, more carefully than I used to when I was younger. Right. Because <laughs> you can't because you can't get burned. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I would have left millions of dollars on the table if I had run away from some of these some of these things that. Uh, that I heard that, you know, sounded too good to be true. The, one of the most poignant examples is, you know, when I decided to go down this path, like a lot of employee type people, I had a bunch of money tied up in, well, what was left over in the 401k, <laughs> right? And in and, and the typical company pre-tax 401k, you know, you're investing in mutual funds, you're investing in a limited number of mutual funds, that's all you can do. Exactly. And, and, you know, the, and the common conventional wisdom is that you can't, you can't take that out and move it over into kind of a self-directed plan where you can invest in anything you want. Right. So a uh, kind of a mentor of mine a long time ago said, Hey, Chris, 
will your company let you do an in-service transfer? And my first question was, what's, what's an in-service <laughs> in transfer? And he said, well, that's where your company, while you're still working and you're not 59 and a half, will let you take some or all of that money and move it out of the company's plan to a plan of your choosing. And I kind of laughed. I've been working at this company for 20 years. And, and I was like, if that were possible, certainly I would have heard of that buyer now, right? Well, guess what? I was wrong. And the company had a provision that, that allowed me to take out all of their company matching. And so that's what I did. And that kind of gave me a chunk of cash to to jumpstart some of this. But if I had just said, ah, too good to be true, you know, guess what? I would I would have missed that opportunity. So and you know, a lot of people have never even heard of a self-directed IRA. Yeah, right. And have no idea that they can invest in something other than, for example, mutual yeah. funds, which have a huge load and right. are not really that great, you know. Yeah. And there's a self, so there's kind of a self-directed IRA and there's kind of a self-directed 401k too. And the 401k is better for real estate because if you, if you buy some real estate through a self-directed IRA and there's leverage involved, there's something called UBIT, un, unearned business income tax. And you could be taxed on the leveraged portion of the gains that are associated with that debt. So the 401k is a better tool uh, for anybody who's thinking going down that path. <laughs> So I know this isn't your like thing, but just explain briefly how that would work for somebody if they have money in their employer's account and they suddenly are like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. I'm sick of working for the man. I'm going to fire the man. I want to go do this thing. How would they, how could they go about that? You're talking about moving the money with the pretext? Uh, yeah. And the, even, you know, how, how like a self-directed 401k kind of works. Yeah. So the, the, um, so kind of the more common and maybe easier path is a self-directed IRA. So you would go up and, and, and Quest Trust is one of the ones that I used. And, and you go up and you set up that account. Now you've got a, let's say you've got a corporate uh, 401k pre-tax and you've got this self-directed pre-tax, self-directed uh, self IRA. Then when you go to the company and you say, hey, I want to do this transfer, <clears throat> they're going to cut a check. And this is important. They're going to cut a check to that Quest Trust Company and that account, you don't want the money coming to you. It's not the end of the world, but it's a little more problematic. And then the money just goes from your company's 401k to there. And then from there, you can use that to buy your Airbnb or as a down payment on something else. 401ks are company sponsored. So uh, in some cases you might have to have a business or start one, but my first self-directed kind of 401k was through a company that, that helped me set it up as a sole proprietor. So anyway, both of them, uh, both of them are available, but the 401k's got some advantages. Excellent. And then you're suddenly free. You have a, a chunk of money that you're free to, to invest in real estate, invest yeah. in other types of alternative investments. Yeah. You've got a chunk of money and you sign the papers and, you know, you sign or wire the checks, depending on who set up your account and, yeah, I mean, there's only there's only like six things that the IRS says you can't use that kind of we call those qualified plans. You can't. I think you can invest in, you know, race cars and alcohol and art and things like that. You know, all the good stuff. Yeah, but there's only there's only like there's only like a half a dozen things. Yeah. But it's the it's the it's the companies, it's the Charles Schwab's and the Fidelity and those people that deal in this conventional class because it's easy and it's very profitable for them. Absolutely. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, but yeah, most people exactly. wouldn't even know you had a choice, right? 
that's it. And that's because the people who we're asking in many cases are not the people, they're not, they have a vested interest and you don't necessarily know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. So what kinds of things would you recommend? Like, like I said, you're, you've been doing your thing, you're been working and you've, you know, feel like, okay, I've got, you know, some money saved. I've got a decent amount, but it isn't, you know, the, what I like to think of, the way I like to think about it is a lot of people's retirement plans kind of require that they die at a certain point <laughs> right? like, before they run right. out of money. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm going to, you know, by, if I'm not dead by 75, that's it. I'm out of money. I'm going to be living on the street. Right. So passive income stream, obviously you can continue to live beyond that, <laughs> beyond that day. So what sorts of things, you know, somebody realizes, oh gosh, you know, my aunt, this, and this happened to me, my aunt died at 105. So I'm thinking, okay, so if I want to live to 105 with the conventional wisdom, I think I have to have like, I don't know, 10 or $15 million in the oh, bank. Oh, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's uh, the, so the, the whole 401k and the conventional wisdom is based on kind of like two principles. One is that you're going to, you're going to build up this mountain of, of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, right? And, and uh, you know, you're, you're diversified portfolio, right? It really isn't diversified. So you're going to have this mountain of, of mutual funds. And then number two, then because these mutual funds don't, they don't produce any cash flow like real estate, you have to somehow generate cash flow to pay your bills when you decide you want to quit working, which means you got to take your, your little pick and you're just chopping away at this mountain every month. You have to sell a portion of that portfolio off every month to generate the cash flow. And the, the rule that financial advisors give retirees is something called the 4% rule, which says, okay, you can probably safely hopefully. <laughs> hopefully sell off four percent of that mountain of stuff a year and not run out of money before you run out of life so if so so a lot of the the common questions well how big does that mountain of money need to be and i go i think that's the wrong question the question you need to ask is how much how much annual income do i want to have in retirement so let's just pick a number let's say we want to have a hundred thousand dollars a year of income in retirement that works great in some places in the country not so good in other places but if you take that hundred thousand you divide it by four percent that tells you that you need a 2.5 million dollar portfolio now, and I say, I say that the, the 401k retirement system doesn't work for 92% of the population. And the reason I say that is because only 8% of Americans will ever be millionaires. Right. And so only 8%. Two and a half than, million. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So less than 8% are, are going are gonna to have two and a half million. They say, okay, well, maybe we set our sights too high. Let's, let's say we only want to have like $63,000 a year, which is kind of close to the median, the, median, yeah. the median income. Well, you do that same calculation, you still come up with $1.575 million. So again, that only works for eight percent of the population exactly. and what's happening now is that um the financial advisors are realizing finding out that the four percent rule isn't working anymore it's more right. like a three percent rule or three point two percent rule so if you say if you take the same sixty three thousand dollars and now apply the three percent rule you're back up to 2.1 so all of the we've got a system that doesn't work for 92 percent of the population right it's just it's just it's the craziest thing ever you know so, 
<laughs> and but okay, so let's say that I decide, okay, well, this isn't going to work. I'm not likely to ever. First of all, I don't know if I want to limit my retirement income to $100,000. And second of all, it's not likely that between age 50 and age 60, when I want to retire, that I'm going to be able to make two and a half million dollars by working for somebody. So what would you recommend that somebody do like the day that they make that realization? Well, the best asset class out there is real estate. So, and, you know, and so there are, there are, um, there are really, Oh, I'll say, and I'm, this is going to be one of my next articles. There's really like, <laughs> there's, there's really, there's four ways, but there's only three ways to, to do it. So the, the easiest thing is you could go out and invest in a REIT, R-E-I-T, a real estate investment trust. But all you're doing is you're investing in a, in a publicly traded, it's a conventional investment. Exactly. It's publicly Mutual traded. Fund of real estate, it, right? It's a company <laughs> that invests in real estate. So you're really, you don't get any of the benefits of real estate when you invest in a REIT. So now let's talk about the real kind of three ways to to do this. So you could go out and you could, like we say, in your own account, in your own name or whatever corporation or LLC you set up, you go out and buy yourself, you go out and buy a single family rental, a duplex, a small apartment building and whatever, and you may manage it yourself or manage, have somebody else, but that's one way. And and if you've got free a lot of free time, then that's that's okay. But think about the person that's got a full time or a full time and a half job, then that becomes a little problematic. So then, and and so we're stepping away in order of things that require less of your time. So the next step is there are or the other path is there are what are called uh, turnkey rental providers, and these are people that specialize in different markets across the country, and they will they will go and buy buy up houses that are good cash flowing properties for that demographic and they will do the repairs that are required or upgrades in a in a manner knowing that this is going to you know durable stuff because this is going to be tenants and then they will go out and find qualified tenants they will put them in there and put a lease in place and then you come and they and they will property manage that they do the whole thing and then you will come in with either cash or bank loan and you will buy what's called a loaded rental and it is already up and functioning with a tenant and everything and property management and then and then the third way and this requires most of the time this is required you for you to be an accredited investor which means you have a net worth of a million dollars excluding your primary residence or an income of i think it's 200,000 years a single person and 300,000 years a married couple, then you can invest in what's called a syndication or limited partnership. So that's, that's what I do. And all I do is pick a really good syndicator, somebody knows what they're doing. And, and I wire off my money to them and sign some piece of papers. And I sit back and wait for the money to come back in. And I'll a real live example that just happened, I had invested about uh, $40,000 so I'm a part owner in an apartment building somewhere all over the country. This one happened to be in Atlanta, which was $40,000 from my self-directed 401k. And, uh, and I think they owned that for uh, about 40 months. And I got, I got back a couple of small checks early for you know $1,000 here and $1,000 a year. And then I just got the final payment from the sale of $73,000. And so that's about a 27% average annual return. And all I had to do was obviously pick a talented management team that's doing right. this and then send them the money. And so those are the 
those are so do it do it yourself single family rental or small uh you know multifamily to find a single uh or excuse me a turnkey rental provider and three if you're a credit investor uh find a syndicator now there are some syndicators that allow non-accredited investors there's not a really way there's not an easy way that i know to go find them yeah. you know you can't go on the website and say uh, but anyway, there are uh, I can there are there are lots of resources. Some of them are on on the, the resources page of my website. So um, those are the those are the ways you know. And I didn't get started until my you know mid forties, and so it's never too late to start. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know right now, here at least in Boston, real estate we suspect is kind of peaking out. So you know sometimes that means you have to. You might have to hang on for a little longer or whatever, but in most cases, I think these syndicators are probably adding some value. So they're not, yeah. you know, they're not just hoping for the market to go up. They understand the business. They're saying, okay, what can we do to actually add value to this and make sure that we make a profit? Yeah. Then, and this particular syndicator is, it's a, they're a huge value add and they do it very quickly. And it's yeah. just like a manufacturing machine. So they just go in every apartment across the country has got the same paint, the same fixtures, the same, everything and they just come in and just and as fast as they can but uh, the people that have been in the apartment space for decades are saying they have never seen the type of rent increases that are happening uh last year and this year uh and without without even doing any improvements excuse me <coughs> so there's just such a in certain markets there's just such a demand yeah. and a supply imbalance that um yeah, and and that that uh, you know, you, you, if you listen to twenty people, you could get twenty different opinions. But there there is a majority of opinion out there that this we've got a little bit more runway in terms yeah. of years for this. But again, it's not the same in every market. Right. Um, so, right. and yeah, we we still have bidding wars here. We still have a lot, and and <clears throat> I mean, I see them adding inventory everywhere, but apparently, you know, they're all rented so or or sold so. I guess they're, I don't know where these people are coming from. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I, I feel like where were they living little, before? <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit different in the single family space because you know, people can only spend so much money on a house. At some point in time, there's a point where people exactly. can't afford to buy because the exactly. prices are too high. And now you raise interest rates. It seems to be a little bit different in the apartment space um, because you're just increasing people's rent by, right. you know, what it, whatever it is. And I, I suppose at some point in time that, that, uh, taps out as well. And an interesting thing is, you know, apartment buildings are like going from best to worst in terms of conditioner rated like A, right. B, C, and D. So the center K that I use, we're kind of in the, in the, in the, in the B and C class area, because what happens when the economy, you know, what, what, where does the person that's in the A class building go that's right. paying $4,000 a month? Everybody moves down a notch. Exactly. So you don't exactly. want to, the philosophy is you don't want to be at that top, right? Because <laughs> when people can't afford that, they're moving down, right? And right. out of your- and You want to be the bottom because then those people are yeah. like, they're the ones that can't pay the rent at all, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, during the whole, during the whole COVID, the apartments across the country did very well. I've seen the national kind of averages in terms of rent collections and occupancy. And the company that I'm with was was actually a couple points higher across the board. So yeah. it, it was almost kind of, well, they had to adopt a whole lot of technology 
at a very fast pace with the COVID thing, and they were able to do that. And I'm sure some operators weren't and didn't want to, and those people sold. Uh, but the asset performed very well the whole time. One of the big differences is rent used to come, you know, rent's due on the first of month, and it came on sometime between the first and the 12th, for example. When COVID hit, it came in anywhere from day, day one to day 31 when people had the money. And the syndicator that I used was very proactive in helping connect the tenants with all the different state, local, and federal money that's available so that they could, so that they could pay. Uh, so, well, and that's why it's a huge advantage working with a big company. Now, if you owned a single, you know, if you owned a home that you were renting out, or if you owned a multifamily that you were renting yourself, you yeah. know, you don't necessarily have that. And the other thing that I think is an important point is pretty much if you are using a self-directed in a retirement account, you can't be the property manager, right? right. Yeah. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to take my self-directed IRA and I'm going to go and, you know, buy a multifamily home with it, you, you can't do that. You, you really need to have someone else who's in charge. So a turnkey or one of these syndicated um, situ situations. Okay. I mean, if I was, the way I like to answer the question, if was, I was starting all over, you know, in my twenties and I knew back then what I knew today, I would start, I would have started, you know, one of these turnkey providers and collecting single family rentals yeah. and but you learn what you learn when you learn exactly so. just be grateful you learned it all right yeah yeah <laughs> and, you know the uh the big and i and my last article was on this topic the big draw for 401ks is is the company match and the tax benefit and so that's why everybody you got to do it you got to do it you got to do it well, guess what a single family rental has? So the company match is another than, nothing more than OPM, other people's money. Right, exactly. So when you buy a single family, when you, when you uh, invest a 401k, you, you get the company match one time at the time you make the contribution and you get the tax benefit one time in the year that you make the contribution. When you buy a single family rental, you get the company match every month for 30 years. It's called somebody <laughs> paying off the principal of your mortgage, right? Exactly. And you get tax benefits every year for the next 27 and a half years in the form of depreciation. And when you, when you do an example of, of you know, a certain amount of uh, investment in, and, and you get to use leverage, right? So when you do some numbers, the the company mat the match with other people's money and the tax benefits of the real estate are almost three times more valuable than the 401k exactly <laughs> but you know the, the thing though is that it's people think of it as easy right if you're going to do something else you're going to have to learn something you're going to have to do yeah. some investment. like i just they take the money out automatically i don't have to save it and then i you know they match it and all it's so great all you know i don't have to do anything whereas right. yeah, I, I guess there's some little bit you have to do <laughs> yeah, you, no you got you definitely have to be smarter you have to be smarter but the benefit you know i mean you don't you don't get something for nothing right so if you want to if you want to have a mediocre if you want to live like a pauper in retirement Put your money in the 401k. It's easy. Don't learn anything. If you want to live like a king or a queen in retirement, get educated, start investing smartly, and then you'll, you know, you'll have this great retirement. And when you have these, these assets that not only go up in value, but produce cash flow, you don't have to sell. You're, you're just getting wealthier. The longer you live, the right. more the, your balance sheet grows bigger and the cash flow, if you want to take it, you know, uh, you yep. can. So it's, it's a, 
it's a it's a beautiful thing <laughs> well and, and the and then the whole idea of you know a generational wealth right mm -hmm. right i used to work with this guy his grandfather was a smart guy and he bought a big apartment building and and the whole family every year every so many years i guess he had more than one property but like one year that i was working with him they refinanced they did a cash out refi from the you know they take some of the equity and they were getting like I don't know, four and a half million dollars or something ridiculous, you know, I mean, that, and that family's just like splitting it up, saving it, you know, I mean, yeah. doing their thing with it. And that you just need one smart person in your family. You could be that smart person, you know, well, that, <laughs> who sets that's the whole, yeah. your whole heirs for life up, you yeah. know, for, for comfort. Well, that's what we call, uh, that's what we call infinite return. So let's say you've got a, let's say you've got a million dollar, you know, apartment building. And then at some point in time, you put $300,000 down. And so this apartment building over time is growing. Uh, it's increasing in value and it's generating in cash flow. And maybe you've improved, made the improvements and you've made the, uh, not only did the property get more valuable just because of appreciation over time, but you put washers and dryers in every unit and you cleaned up the pool and the patio and maybe you remodeled the units. And then pretty soon, the property is not worth, uh, you know, um, $3 million anymore. It's worth $5 million. So you do a cash out refi and you get your complete $300,000 back. Now you have no cash in that deal, but it's still there, still growing, still generating cash. Now your return is infinite because you have zero in that deal and you've taken that 300,000 and moved Doing it off into the next, the next. So you're now you're making money in two places at the same time. Exactly. That's what they mean by when they say, put your money to work, right? Yes, right, right. <laughs> send it off, give it a lunchbox and <laughs> get it to work. Right? I think it was, I think it was the book, the richest man in Babylon, where the guy talks about sending your, send your money off and it comes back with friends, right? It exactly. And then he sends his right? children off. Yeah. Right. That's what he says. Yeah, absolutely. So Chris, this is awesome. I mean, our time is like flown by. I want to respect <laughs> your time, but is there anything that you wish I would have asked you today? that I didn't, um, I didn't think anything you really want to share that I didn't touch on? Um, you know, I guess I, I guess, uh, you know, I have had some investments go bad. Uh, I've had, I, I guess you I could doing, talk about that. When I've had performing, I've, when I've, I've, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, performing and non-performing notes, I've picked up properties that weren't uh, as advertised and, and all I could do was minimize my loss. And I, in my early days, I invested in, you know, uh, private equity, which is just private shares of, you know, private businesses. And I, and I did too much of that and too few of things. And, and there's a couple of those investments that you're on the edge of, you know, going bankrupt or maybe making it. So uh, there is, uh, you have to be careful. But that's why that's why I wrote this book, you know, <laughs> get off your a dollar sign dollar sign manage your money, why you need alternative investments, because my path was, you know, you know, one step forward, you know, three steps back, two steps to the side. I thought, wow, if I were doing this over, I could hopefully guide somebody on a more efficient, straighter path and yeah. help them make mistakes. So it's, um, and because a lot of these investments are unregulated, you know, they're not overseen by the SEC as our stocks and bonds, it's easier to get, you know, get hooked up with somebody that's not, uh, you know, ethical and, and, and have things go horribly wrong. So that's just, you know, but every investment has risk, but that could be mitigated by getting some knowledge and doing your homework. And unlike, you know, like, like what you said, you'll never be able to call up the, uh, the CEO of Coca-Cola, but, you know, I can pick up the phone and call the, 
the person that runs this syndication or the businesses that I invested in. And so you get to know, you get the chance to meet these people and get to know them. And, you know, it's, it's really all about, uh, you know, character and who these people are. So. Yeah. And I would say that's the, what I'm sure if you said, well, why aren't you still making these mistakes? It would be, you know, you know, what questions to ask. You've got the experience now and there's no, obviously no substitute with that, but it's not as if, I mean, my track record for the stock market used to be like, I would buy a stock and literally the company would go out of business. I mean, that was my, I was, I was like, I just don't have a gift for stocks, you know? And then yeah. you know, later on, I found out it wasn't actually have to be having, it doesn't have to be a gift. Don't say, I don't have a gift for, you know, real estate <laughs> investing. No, it's not a gift. You just need to learn, right? You just need yeah. to, there, there's somebody in this case, we have Chris Odegaard. There's somebody who has done this before and has written a book about it. And all you have to do is read it. Right. And, and that's true of, you know, that's true of anything. It's like, oh my gosh, what if I could just find somebody that's already done what I want to do? Well, they've probably written a book or they have a website or they'll, they will teach you. Right. So why, exactly. why go out and, and, you know, make all those mistakes yourself? Exactly. If only there was someone who'd done this before. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, how can we get your book? Well, you can, if you go to my website, theprolificinvestor.net, you can take the conventional wisdom quiz. You can schedule a coffee with me. There's a little flashing star right there. And if you click on that, it'll link you to the Amazon page where you can get the book. And it's both in paperback and ebook. And right now, right now, the ebook is on sale for 99 cents. So 99 cents to set you about, up for you your know, retirement. Hello? Yeah, is that yeah. a good investment? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Ridiculous. And a free coffee with a really pleasant person and, you know, very, very smart and experienced. Awesome. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. This has been fantastic. And I hope listeners, I hope it's made you think, I hope it's made you like consider that there might be another alternative to like work until you're 65 and dropping dead because you don't, you know, you hated your, your life so much. I mean, you know, to, to make a life that you can enjoy and, you know, you get up in the morning and say, what would mo make me most excited today, right? Or e even if you just decide, okay, now that, you know, now that I don't have to worry about money, I'm going to become an artist. I'm going to become a school teacher. I'm going to become somebody that I don't have to care how much money I make, right? You can literally do anything you want and not have to care about how much money it's going to pay you, even if it pays you nothing, right? I think it was Zig Ziglar that said, you know, they say that money can't buy happiness. Well, he said, well, neither can poverty. So money makes, things, <laughs> money makes things easier. It gives you a lot more choices, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So listener, think if you, if you don't want to get rich, or even if you do, think of somebody else, you know, who could really benefit from Chris's experience, because he is just, you know, given us a wealth of great little um, pearls that you want to harvest. Absolutely. A young person too. if you got a young person in your life, if it's if you if you feel like you're too old, or you too, just can't change, but you've got a son or a grandson or a granddaughter. Yeah, let them know, man. Absolutely. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. Because the earlier you start this, the bigger that little uh, that the bigger that asset is going to have grown. I mean, if you could do what you've done in nine years, right? Mm -hmm. What could you do like, over 20 or 30? I mean, exactly, you know. exactly. And, and then, and then you've got the market cycles working for you. It's fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great week, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.